So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary, and my name is Mark, and I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life, and so what I do is I help entrepreneurial leaders get a little more control of their business, and part of how I do that is by letting you listen in to conversations between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world, so you can listen in and pick out some really valuable nuggets that uh, help you break through the ceilings in your world all while being engaged in a fun and deep way. And so today, my guest is just a perfect person for that. And I'm so excited about this conversation because Jeff is an award-winning global entrepreneur, CEO of public and private companies throughout his career, uh, a worldwide motivational speaker. I've seen him speak. Fantastic uh uh, presentations, a best-selling author, Hollywood film producer, producer of a Grammy-winning jazz album, an executive producer of an Emmy award-winning television show. And if you weren't familiar with all of that work, Jeff Hoffman has been a founder and major part of starting companies you definitely know, including Priceline.com, Booking.com, UBid.com, and more. Welcome, Jeff Hoffman. Well, thank you so much for having me here. How are you, my friend? <laughs> These are crazy times. I don't even know how to answer that anymore, whatever the new normal is. But I will say that I've been blessed that the uh, uh, virus has not really impacted me or anybody close to me, meaning no one's gotten seriously ill or anything. I hope you can say the same. Yeah, yeah. I've I've know of cases, <clears throat> uh, nothing nothing first degree at this point, and we're st- Houston's doing pretty well overall. All right. Well, you know what? I, I, I've been reading that that, that warmer weather – uh, is somewhat of a deterrent to a virus. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I keep hearing the same thing. Um, everything right now is like 80% believable at most. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just don't have enough data, so. Yeah, no doubt. Well, so what you know, I want to talk about a million things, um, but I guess I want to set the groundwork for, because when, when you and I met two, three months ago, whenever that was, the theme of your presentation as I took it, because you talked about a lot of things, but I took it about, uh, and most people I thought took it, around giving and generosity and the impact and the positive things that come from that. And what I have seen over the last month is that when business owners and individuals and really people in this crisis are at their best, they're giving and they're being generous and they're sharing and it's, it's beautiful. What are you seeing? So, as a matter of fact, I just got off the phone uh, a little while ago um, with a company in Ohio, and they have focused on their community and everything from, this is one of my mentees, it's a company I advise, um, but from delivering uh, food to the community, you know, there are a lot of school, it's true where you live in Houston too, there's a lot of school kids in in, in lower income schools that the only meal they get all day sometimes is that free school lunch and school's closed. So some of these people are short food. So here was a company, a CEO, who said, I want to do something for my community. And I said, why don't you go feed the kids? What kids? He said, because he doesn't live in that neighborhood. And I said, they are there. And he called all the school district offices and found out that he could help a lot. So his employees deliver food. They have an obviously no contact setup. Right. But they're out there delivering food. Then he discovered that they could pay for additional medical equipment like masks and stuff for the local hospital. And all of a sudden, they discovered there was so much they could do, and they're totally into it. And I'm just so proud to see them giving. So the examples have been amazing um, of, of people stepping in. Let me tell you one more because it, it really yeah. moved me. Um, you know, I've been doing this thing on TV and stuff lately that I've been, small business owners are saying, what do we do? How do we get through this crisis? Yeah, and I've been yeah. doing this thing that I've been calling my three R's about repurposing, retooling, and redeploying. And uh, and uh, this company was a company that, uh, uh, a startup, a small business, a distillery, they make vodka. And okay. they sell to liquor stores, and where they live, all the stores are closed and people aren't supposed to go out. So they don't have stores ordering product right now. So they're kind of shut down. We were having this discussion of repurposing your assets to help help Corona. And so they discovered that their assets were chemists 
and alcohol, right? right. And alcohol processing in big tanks. Yeah. And then discovered that they could convert their whole distillery from vodka to hand sanitizer. And so they started cranking out hand sanitizer. And what I like is the connectivity here because I was on the phone uh, uh, days later, not days after they were up and running, uh, with Ghana. And I was talking to people on the ground that I mentor in Ghana. And I said, how's it going? And they said, well, Jeff, we're poor and we have no infrastructure. We can't get hand sanitizer. It's not like we can go on Amazon and have it shipped out here to the village. Right. You can't so, even do that in the Houston's. <laughs> yeah. Even if it was available. Yeah. Um, so I started thinking, well, what they do have in their agricultural business is chemists. And they do have some people that have stills that produce alcohol all, you know, everywhere in the world. Anyway, the point is we set up a zoo, an online video training course where this distillery making hand sanitizer in Reno, Nevada, was talking to these chemists in Ghana in Accra, and now they are producing their own hand sanitizer right there in Ghana after a U.S. company trained them all. No money changed hands. That wasn't what it was about. But for me, it was just a thing of beauty that people were paying it for. And that's a ripple effect. When people ask me, why do you help these people sometimes? And, and Or they say to me, what can I do for you in return? That, that's what you're supposed to do in return. Go pass it, you know, pay it forward to someone else. So it was, so, it was emotional to me to see them on, the, on this call with Ghana training these people. And now they're producing their own hand sanitizer in Africa. You know, Some I want to keep the best of humanities popping up right now. I, I couldn't agree more, and I and I want to keep on that. Well, there's two things that come to my mind: is that I I have been fired up, and and the more I I spend time with leadership teams, the more I see them fighting to survive and win and and conquer. It's just like. This is we got this. You know, everybody that I'm working with is serious and smart and and ready to win and fight for their team. And the whole team is doing. The entire company is ready mm-hmm. to to get into the fight. Even when you make hard decisions and scale back and lay off and furlough, you still have that that fighting spirit. But the the challenge with giving that I think puts people off is I had a friend who who is a consulting firm and he and he was like, well, "Look, you know, we're a consulting firm. I can't go get plastic and then go make face shields. Like that's not right. on the radar for me." And so the challenge for a lot of companies is like it's not obvious their give. They have to do some work and ask some questions to start figuring out like you said, well, what are your assets? Mark, what do you have Mark, in your that's, that's exactly why I had three things, you know, repurpose, which I just talked about repurposing yeah the stills to make hand sanitizer, retool, which is just upgrading your skill set while you have time at home to take online courses. But redeploy is for companies who can't repurpose. And redeploy means you can't get, like you say, get plastic and make masks. But you know what you can do? You can help the restaurant down the street. These are real examples. Okay. Deliver okay. food to the first responders in the hospital that are working around the clock. Right? You can literally volunteer in your neighborhood to whatever it is, take care of an elderly, help somebody. You can do these things online, too. Help somebody with homeschooling because you know how to do it and they don't. We had an example where a company, he said, I don't know what to do. We're a, we're a consumer products company. And so I said, tell you what, call the hospital. And he's like, we're not doctors. We're not nurses. I said, call them and see what their problems are. And they said, well, besides obviously you know, having a lot of patients, they said there's a lot of misinformation about COVID in our community. And we'd love to uh, mount an information campaign, but we don't know how to do that. And I said, ask them what they need. And the hospital said, we don't know how to create websites. We're not graphic designers. We're not online marketers. You know what he did? He redeployed. He loaned his two graphic designers, an SEO, SEM person, and two online marketing people. He loaned them to the hospital. So they are working from home, but they're building an information campaign for the hospital in the city they live in. And... They're so engaged. They're not just sitting at home wishing that they can do business and stressing. They're helping. So even if you can't do something yourself, maybe you can loan yourself or if you're a company, loan your employees to somebody else that is doing something because you have skills they can take advantage of. You know, one of the things that I think people stop short on is um, the scarcity. Like I've got these people, they're costing me money. I, I got to do something that turns them into money right this minute, or or I or if I'm gonna loan them to somebody, how am I gonna turn this into to money down the line? And I kind of heard in what you said. Maybe I in, 
inferred it, but or implied it rather, or no, what I say, inferred it that (laughs) that they let go of that and just said, "There's abundance. Let's just help." You know, like that. Here's a here's a resource and a need, and I'm not worrying about much else. So, Mark, you're right. They started with that abundance, and they said, "Just go." But I'm going to tell you an interesting ending to that story. So, in the first story, they stopped selling vodka. However, they were able to make hand sanitizer, and they're hiring like crazy, and they can't fill all the orders. They're, they're, and they're not price gouging or anything. They're just helping. But yeah. they're making a lot of money. In the other case where they loaned the graphic designers uh, and the you know, online marketing people to the hospital, because the hospital was doing such a good job of distributing information, the hospital got a grant from the government to do it even better, so they hired for an indefinite temporary period, they hired all those people. Wow. So he loaned them. The, the, the entrepreneur loaned his employees to the hospital. They were doing it out of their hearts, and now they weren't getting paid at their company. Now they're all hired, and they're getting paid out of a COVID grant directly hmm. to that hospital. So that happened. And I think the last piece, the case where one of the restaurants uh, owners that I work with, he's been feeding first responders, you know, let me tell you this. He's not making money from that now. Um, but I'll tell you what happens when this is all over. And you're a nurse that, that works at that hospital and you're driving past that restaurant. You don't think they're going to look up and say, those are the people that fed us during the pandemic. Let's, let's feed them back. I think that everything you do, even if you're doing it for the right reason, you're going to get it back in spades. I also happen to believe in karma. Anyway, yeah, you yeah. get back from the university energy you put into it. So put out some good energy, and you'll get it back. I I, I, I agree, and, and the way I would describe it is that there's no greater time of need. This is no greater time of being seen. This is when you see people at their best, and um, people remember this. I think they absolutely do. It's, You're going to remember it, the good behavior and the bad behavior. Yeah, so bad behavior. Um, you know, I, I don't. I guess. Do you, are you seeing any bad behavior out there? Yeah, most definitely. It's the people that go to the store and buy all of one product for themselves. They care, worried only about themselves. So we saw that in a couple of cases where, in a couple of local stores, where people, one person was trying to buy all the toilet paper in the whole store. Uh, that is not good behavior, right? Yeah. Uh, and and. Then we saw the other cases that you read about where somebody acquired masks for three bucks and is trying to sell them for 40 because they're in short supply and they're needed by hospitals and nurses and doctors. That is not good behavior. Luckily, it's the minority. Yeah. But we've seen, we've seen some bad behavior too. Yeah. Cause as you were describing that, I've heard of the same things too. And, and where I've kind of seen it is, uh, did you video drop or you there? Uh, I don't know. Now. Okay. I don't know what happened to yeah, no problem. Yeah. So as long as you can hear me, we're good. It looks like the video kind yeah, of it went away nope. for some reason. But go on. Yeah, uh, you know, I see that in kind of like the news stories where, like, you know, there's it's a clickbait headline. You know, that you know, certain products seized in uh, in a pr- price gouging situation. And I think that that's true and needs to be policed socially. But I I gotta tell you, I've experientially talking to people, being around people, you know, this is just humanity at its best, at least in my world. I mean, maybe I'm in a bubble. Am I in a bubble? No, you are not. And, you know, the silver lining, I mean, you know, we'll obviously uh, have to accept the horror of all the people who lost their lives in this. Yeah. But I completely agree with you. The silver lining of this is to some degree humanity rediscovering itself. First of all, uh, uh, your people are rediscovering the people they live with. <laughs> They're getting more quality time at home than they ever bargained for. Yeah. But I'm hearing a lot of great stories uh, of people, you know, parents that are suddenly forced to homeschool if they have kids. They're spending way more time with their kids, and they're learning so much more about them in this process. Neighbors stepping up to help neighbors. I've heard stories of people delivering supplies to to the elderly. I've heard stories even of people taking care of each other's pets. Whatever it is. And then the other thing I like, and and this part really excites me, what's so unique about this moment in history is that I think it's the first time that the whole human race is fighting a common enemy. Because Mm, if you think about it, you know, wars are between particular sides, earthquakes are geographical, economic, 
recessions or even a 9-11 is limited to certain sets of countries. Right now, the whole world is at war against the same thing. So for once, we're all on the same side, right? There's not a religious boundary, a, a geographic or a political boundary. It's all humans against a virus. And so that is, I think, generating some really hopeful behavior. I told right. you that story of connecting the people in Reno to the people in Ghana. And, I, I you know, I was watching new friendships being formed. They right. reached out to each other. They helped. So I think the best of humanity is, I think some of humanity's greatest moments are going to shine, are going to rise and shine out of this. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I I have a belief that you know human beings are sort of programmed to fight some enemy. And when we get into a peacetime, it's so peaceful, people get a little restless and, and we start to squabble over stupid stuff <laughs> and we get really serious about it and po- politics kind of get, you know, to where they are. And, you know, I did, like you said, I don't, I don't want to minimize the loss of life because it's, it's bad. Uh, but when we have, uh, when we get kind of a level set of, of resetting our priorities and, and, and now our conversations are, are human again. I think that's absolutely true. Um, I, I, <laughs> there's just so many dimensions to what's going on here um, in so many ways, but it's a fascinating study in human behavior. I was laughing because, uh, you, you know, I think you're right. Humans suck at peace. Uh, that's, that's, I love the way you said that. That's, that's, that's probably very true. You know, that we've got a lot of spiritual leaders who look pretty good at it. The rest of us, terrible at it. I've got to be yeah. terrible. <laughs> and I didn't realize that until you said that. And I started mm-hmm. thinking, if we go back and look through history, I think we're going to see that we pretty much suck at peace. Um, ah, that that might be the big takeaway. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, play to your strengths. Maybe we'll get better at it. Yeah, for sure. So what are you, one of the things that we talked about is you love the idea of entrepreneurs saving the world. And the world needs saving, uh, I guess. And we certainly feel like it does. What's the role of entrepreneurs right now in saving the world? So I, I think it's never been more important for entrepreneurs to rise up. I've been given these online talks, live Q&A sessions, and, and uh, sort of advice and even pep talks to entrepreneurs all over the world. That's what I've been doing. I've been busier now than I was when I was traveling every day um, because every day I'm doing like four live, you know, webcasts or online sessions. With <laughs> Stuff like this. But I'm loving doing it uh, because I'm hearing so much from them and uh, <clears throat> never has it been more important. And, you know, it's funny because it's not entrepreneurs because they're entrepreneurs. It's the other way around. It's a personality type that we need to save the world. And those people just wind up becoming entrepreneurs because they don't fit well into a lot of other infrastructures and bureaucracies. So I always tell people, entrepreneurship isn't the goal. It isn't even the job. It's just a tool set and a mindset that certain kind of people gravitate towards. So that being said, problem solvers, people that can't stand the way things are and and just got to fix it, they can't sleep until they fix something, those people become entrepreneurs. But we need them right now. People that are very agile, that are innovative, that are rapid prototypers for other ideas in life, that are not afraid to try, not afraid to fail. People that know how to organize teams, that are quick and efficient. Those are all the assets that we need to have in a fast-moving, totally caught-off-guard, unprecedented COVID-19 virus. And so who can jump quickly, react, you know, innovate, uh, experiment, all those things we needed right now are the things that entrepreneurs do anyway for a living. So part of the challenge I've been issuing in all these calls is rise up. This is your moment. The world needs entrepreneurs because as much as governments are doing everything they can, I'm not criticizing them, they don't move at lightning speed because they can't. Big corporations can't move at lightning speed. Entrepreneurs will starve if they don't. So they are the natural people to save the world. Yeah, it's uh, I. A couple of things have come up for me in like I, I interviewed Cameron Harold a week ago. I and and I was I was expecting it to be. It was the first podcast interview that I had done uh, in, in post COVID, and I was expecting to really get into the leadership and struggle of teams uh, that were dealing with it. And he was we were basically agreed that um, there's no difference. 
like we, we, it's a renewed, um, enthusiasm, urgency, the urgency is way high, but there's nothing different than, than running a business in crisis than maybe starting a business from nothing. And so it's really, it's like a shock to the system to, to cause all entrepreneurs to have to sort of go back to that skill set that you just described, which is like, what you want is not available. What you have is a bunch of broken pieces, parts, go make it work anyway. And, And that's what we do. That is absolutely right, and I agree now that you put it that way, that it is no different. It, it was different than if your company was humming along, but it's no different than the way entrepreneurs started any other business. When you started, you had no customers, you had no revenue, right. and you couldn't pay your employees. Yeah, and <laughs> so, it's scarier uh, because your neighbors now have the same problem, but I guess that's the, the community. But but I but I think that's it. I mean, it's – yeah, it's – But I remember you know what? The, it, it's – Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to my, my the first the first months and years of of, of my various businesses. Like it's it's terrifying, you know. It, there's 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 no like there's bills and no revenue, and we gotta go. <laughs> and so it's like, but at least I think the main difference is that I think we felt some sense of agency going in when we started the business. So there was a little bit of a disclaimer that, that we had warning label we had read. To, we didn't get to choose the time on this, and so it showed up, and we're like, I'm not ready. And, and the world's sort of like, not not your decision. Too bad. You got to right. deal with this. And then I think a lot of entrepreneurs have gotten a little comfortable, duly so, in the rewards of the business they've created. And we're sort of yes. like, you know, I didn't want to do this again. I, I did it once. I was good. <laughs> now we're back. And uh, now we're all back entrepreneurs fighting from wherever we are to wherever we need to get back to again. <laughs> that is very true. But you know what? Entrepreneurs uh, – you know, chaos, we thrive on chaos. Chaos is a driver, right? Chaos and disruption are where the, you know, the most nimble, agile, and, you know, and people that are most, are, are fastest to synthesize new ideas into new businesses, they live, they let, that is the giant wave that a surfer is waiting for, right? I forgot what they call it. A surfer was telling me there's this once in an every year, mm-hmm, once mm-hmm. a year wave that they hope to get and they have a name for it. That's kind of this moment. Again, I'm not discounting the bad news, but what I'm saying is this chaos and disruption are, are going to cause massive change. So let's let's take an example. Earlier today, yeah. um, we were launching a, a global youth movement where we're organizing kids all over the world um, to uh, really to step up and, and innovate. We're asking kids... What do you think needs to be done? And here's one of the biggest questions. Um, school changed overnight, yeah. right? Everybody went home. But what, what kids are discovering, one, their parents are learning way more about how their kids are being educated because they're talking to them and they're trying to do it themselves. And two, the kids are sharing what works and what doesn't. And it's a lot easier to overhear your kids say, this is a complete waste of time, to one of his classmates on a Zoom call based on the teacher's lesson, which you never would have heard before. So we're observing the education process. The kids are giving us feedback now. And what's going to come out of the other end of this is school's never going to be the same. If you think about it at a uh, college, especially at a college level, but in all these cases, most schools, and this we're hearing this from a lot of schools that we talk to, most schools were not, they did not already have an online learning pro- platform. They did not have... Uh, the tool set to teach kids at home. If you're a nicer neighbor in a higher end school, you probably did. But a lot of students all over the all over the world, especially and when you go to developing countries that I've been talking to, their schools were not equipped for virtual learning and online classes. So the schools had to, for the first time, introduce virtual education and online learning to families and to students. But what's happening is. Not only are the schools saying, do we really need students here all the time, every day? The answer, by the way, for young students is, of course. But Mm -hmm. as they get older, high school and especially college and university, not only is the university saying that, but students are telling me, man, I would have never considered an online degree. But now I'm wondering why I ever spent the money to be on the campus all the time. Some percentage of them will go back to school as normal. But a big part of the population won't. So if you're an entrepreneur... You know, it's a huge opportunity, uh, rewriting the education system. We've been saying that forever, yeah. but the schools wouldn't let us. Now they have no choice. Well, I, I think both 
education and healthcare are ripe for some form of entrepreneurial revolution or multiple revolutions. And it is interesting to think of this as a catalyst for that on both sides. It is absolutely. It it is. Again, that's the disruptive piece. It's a catalyst. There were no one had any choice and no one was able. The people that thought they were making the rules before are at lost control. Uh, So, you know, the, 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 well, we got shown that we, <laughs> right. the human race, who thought we had everything under control, really control very little. Well, so it's, you talk about the thrive on chaos, and um, I do believe that what makes money is conversion of chaos and disorder into structure. And that is essentially winning, winning wars, winning battles. Um, you know, sales people. Salespeople make a lot of money because they can take an uncertain economic future and turn it into predictable dollars and contracts and things like that. So this whole evolution, we've got an awful lot of chaos and an awful lot of disorder now. So to your point, it's a lot of raw material to work with. Um, I'm curious what your how would you react or how do you respond to people who feel like they don't have the resources? Because from your perspective, I mean, it's easy to look at you and say like, well, that guy's got money and resources and he can make phone calls and he can really make big impact uh, in terms of uh, using money and resources to convert large amounts of chaos and disorder into something good. What about people who are feeling kind of resourceless? So I'll tell you what I've been telling them. Um, This is the first time ever that you could probably have a phone call and a meeting with all your competitors. When we were all when we were all zipping along, we were all competing. And even if they're not your competitors, it's not a business you want to get in, right? That they don't want you to get in. But the thing is now, and I've been telling a lot of people this, they tell me I have an idea but I don't have resources. And I'm telling them everybody's at home and everybody's online. So unlike any time before, um you have the ability to create your own new community. You could be contacting, make a list. Who would you need? Well, I need one person with money. I need some person with act relationships. I need some person with access to whatever. All the resources you just said that, you know, that I might be fortunate enough to have, but somebody else doesn't. Make a list of those resources. Someone out there has them. They're at home too. <laughs> they <Yeah>. have uncertainty. <laughs> they're looking for yeah. new ideas and they're online. So I've been telling people, why don't you create, why don't you invite people that already have a little business uh, and can't save it. I've been telling them, why don't you contact all your competitors, form an every Friday, you know, little founders group and say, guys, we're all in the same boat. We can't compete now because there's no money, no business. Is there something we could all do together to get through this? And maybe when it's over, we come out as one group and one new company, not four little ones. So you don't, it is true, you may not have the resources but the people that have the resources are saying there must be an opportunity here. I got to find the right people. And people that would never take your phone call before, they will take your phone call now. And I've been seeing real examples of that. Form your own little working group. Um, and the, you know, in the same way people have a Bible study or a chess club or a tennis club, you should be forming a chaos club and yeah. saying chaos is everywhere. And part of that is a resource club. Somebody help us. Yeah, so I, I kind of hear that as, um, you know, assess your situation. And if you have enough resources to act, then you should, you, then, then that changes your strategy as opposed to, look, I don't have any resources. I have no idea what to do. We should go collect some resources and we should be, oh, tear down some borders and, and boundaries and talk to, talk to friends and, and make friends while we know that there's people are more friendly than not. Yes, most definitely. And, and again, that's why it's such a unique moment in history. Uh, that you can, that people are more friendly and are more open and engaging. And, you know, part of it is what you and I were talking about before, because for once we're all fighting this common enemy. Um, and so people feel a bond that they didn't feel with other people before. Um, and, and again, you know, I, I'm hearing that out in the field. Well, I shouldn't say out in the field since people are supposed to be at home. Um, but <laughs> I'm hearing that from people. Yeah. And when I'm encouraging them, reach out and talk to people. I even had a case that it wasn't even a business case. It was uh, some moms that were all struggling. And what they said was, you know, uh, this one single mother, she was telling me, you know, I said, reach out. And she said, no one around here has anything. They're not going to help me. They're trying to take care of themselves. And I said, do it anyway. So she reached out to other moms in her area. And this is a lower income area. 
okay. thinking none of them would respond. And they formed a little group, and they found ways. They're online like once or twice a week, but they're sharing ideas. They're figuring out if someone's closer to someone else that they could drop something off on their doorstep. Um, they're all helping each other. And she came back and said, none of us really got along before, but now that we're all in the exact same boat, everybody's dropped the pretense and we're just helping. So the same thing is happening in business. That's that's so beautiful. I mean, I, I love those stories. And, you know, I, I think it's just habits and routines that we get locked into in our normal peacetime lives that we don't have access to that, which is irony, right? You know, it's peacetime, right? And now it's wartime and, and now suddenly <laughs> you can connect. Um, so, the, I mean, I just, I don't know. It's, I, I guess I, as I've had more of these conversations, I get to this point where like, you know, so where's the downside? And I, but I know there's a downside. I know there are people dying and I know there are business, uh, every restaurant owner is sort of like, don't give me upside right now, brother. This sucks. <laughs> so, uh, I, I get that. And there are lots of yeah, businesses but, who went to 0% revenue, but, oh, but like, there's no doubt it's, you it, know, there's a lot of, a lot of people now that, you know what they are saying? Um, there's a lot of people that are saying, and, and I don't, you know, I don't don't mean to offend anybody for this, but they're saying, just give me the damn disease already. My <laughs> odds are that I will survive it, yeah. but I have a zero. But here's what they're telling me: my whole life savings is in that restaurant. I've been, I, I spent that's all I have. The restaurant is my life. It's my life savings. It's my only business. They're destroying my life. Obviously, they're not talking about the much more important thing: their health and their family. But it's pretty darn important if you lose everything you've spent your whole life building, especially for a disease that statistically most everybody survives. So I'm literally having people telling me all the time, I'd rather just get COVID. My odds are survive. I'll survive it. And, you know, and at least at least I won't lose everything I've spent my whole life building. And you can understand. I'm not I'm not arguing whether that's logical or not. I'm saying you can understand why people feel that way. Yeah. Well, and on Crazy top of that, times. on top of that, the uncertainty. And so, you know, like the conversation I had with Cameron Harrell was a very much, um, you know, we're leaders. It's our time to lead. Uh, you know, give yourself a minute, like 60 seconds and now go. And I appreciated that perspective. And I think that probably helped some people. But I felt early on in the, in the first couple of weeks, just the the weight of the uncertainty. And I had heard some research about the impact of uncertainty and what it does to human ability to, to make decisions. And it's a human response that like, if you don't have information, you as a, as an animal don't do stuff because if you don't know anything, anything you do could kill you. <laughs> so you, you just, it just doesn't make <laughs> sense to do things when you don't know what to do. So uns- massive amounts of uncertainty creates massive amounts of paralysis. And it's just a psychological weight to get past. And so I have a great deal of empathy. And I've given a lot of advice and I've done videos to try to get people to get comfortable with the fact that they should have compassion for themselves in the uncertainty. That weight they feel is very normal. And the antidote to it is little bits of certainty and little things that you know to be true, even if it's bad news. Even bad news, when relatively certain, gives you comfort and gives you instruction on how to act. Like, are you shutting your business down? Are you laying people off? How much money do you have? Those things suck, but they actually empower you to take action. And so I guess I just wanted to kind of talk about the spectrum of like if you've lost everything or if you're still in the cloud of uncertainty it's really hard to get out of that but normal to do that are you how are you giving people advice on on how to deal with that piece of this yes big time i've been having a lot of leaders come to me Uh, i did a few calls with a few uh, ceos today at all different levels asking for advice on how to get through this and i will tell you uh, one of the first things that I've been sharing, because I've been watching the ones who've been doing it well, and, you know, I've been a CEO my whole life and been through a few things in some bad times, too. The, the I'm going to tell you two things that I fundamentally believe, transparency and over-communication. Because yeah. what's happening is these leaders feel like, I, when I don't know the answer, they're afraid to face people. They don't want to look like a bad leader, a weak leader, by saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And... Uh, what we've been learning is the transparency and the over-communication, instead of erring on the other side, is much more beneficial to people, and we're getting this from the employees, when they sit down and the boss says, look, here's a list of the things I don't know. Here's the things I do know. Here's what I'm afraid right. of. Here's what I'm hopeful for. And they're sharing that, 
And when they when you're transparent, and when you say to people, when people have no idea, I mean, let's talk about finance. When people have no idea, because I went through this as a CEO um, at, at a time, especially post 9-11 being in the travel biz. When, when people don't know how long they're going to get paid, if they're going to get paid, how long they're going to be out of work, and you don't know as a leader either, and you say nothing, uncertainty, you already said this, uncertainty is the reason that kids think there's a monster under their bed. Right. <laughs> because right. there just might be. And until you <laughs> prove to them, yeah. <laughs> prove to them with lights and everything else that there isn't one there, as long as it's possible, the human brain works that way, which is the beauty of the human brain, our imagination. So the same thing happens to people without not information. Their brain, you know, their imagination will create some. So when you sit down, what I finally did is I sat down with employees and I just told them straight up the truth. I said, this is how much money we have in the bank. These are the ways that we can spend it. Here's a list of the things I'm doing to try to get us more money. And then I said to them, who's got ideas? And Mark, let me, I got to share a quick story with you. Yeah, do it. Um, especially, yeah, go, yeah, hit it. This was so uh, meaningful to me. Um, so we were going through these bad times and, uh, I was a startup, and we didn't have money to pay people. And so I sat them down, and I did just what I told you. First, I was like, the answers are all bad. I only have bad news, and I don't know the answer. I don't, I don't know a lot of stuff. And so I was hesitant to say anything. Don't worry about it. I'm working on it. Well, then I found out that that was causing monsters under the bed. So right. I sat them down, and I said, look, here's the situation. Straight up, guys. Here's how much money I have. Here's how much you guys cost, <laughs> right? And therefore, you can already see this is bad. And it's going to worse. And uh, and I said, so uh, given that situation, here's where we are. Here's what we can do or not do. And here, then I said, here are the things I'm trying to do to make it better. And I said, why don't you guys think about it and come back to me with your ideas as well. And I will tell you what happened. What happened was uh, they were on Fridays. So on Fridays, I was going out on trying to find solutions. Every Friday I was leaving, talking to bankers, talking to investors, trying to find a way to save my company and pay my people. And every Friday I noticed, because when I went to the parking lot, Mark, there was a, our conference room had a glass on the outside. And I was like, do they not realize I can still see them? They were playing poker at lunch every Friday. And I was like, okay, they're adults, they can do what they want, but everybody's broke, no one can pay their bills, they're not getting paychecks, and they're playing poker? So okay. I was a little bit surprised at that. Yeah, so, so I know a lot of entrepreneurs who'd be ready to blow a gasket. Yeah, so one Friday, I was I was upset, to be honest, but I didn't say anything. One Friday, I left my phone in the conference room because I had a meeting there before then. I come back into the conference room, and the employees are all there, and I come in, and they all look busted. And I was like, guys, guys, it's okay. I just came in to get my phone. And <clears throat> they were all looking at me, and I said, look, I know what you're doing. I see you through the window every day. I know you're playing poker on Fridays. And I look at the table. There's a pot of money in the middle. Everyone has a pile of money in front of them. That's a poker game. And I said, you're adults. Do what you want. And I said, but to be honest, as I was walking out, I said, I'm not entirely sure why you guys are doing this at a time when no one has any money. And I start to walk out of the room. And the employees turn and <clears throat> kind of look at me, but nobody says anything. And... Uh, they, they, uh, I, as I'm walking out, something catches my eye. And what I realize is that the employees, there's no cards. How are they playing poker with no playing cards anywhere? So I turn around and I say, you're not playing poker, are you? And they said, no. I said, what are you doing? And the employees said, every Friday, we come into this room. We wait till you leave. We come in the room and everybody empties their pockets onto the table. Then... We go around and everybody pushes into the middle whatever they can afford to, to put to give to the cause. Then we go around the table again, and the first person says, my car payment's paid, but I need some grocery money. Can I take 70 bucks? And everybody nods, you take 70 bucks. The next person says, my mom loaned me $1,000. I can put 500 in here, but in two weeks, i got to pay. I got to pay my car payment, whatever it is. They were going around the table, pooling all their money, taught being there was a ground rule. You have to be totally honest. Don't take more than you need. And if you have any extra, put it in here. And I said, that's, I had tears in my eyes. I said, that's what you're doing every Friday? They said, you challenged us to deal with the situation. You explained to us the reality. And so we all got together and said, what can we do to help ourselves, to help Jeff, and to save the company? And I just stood there with tears in my eyes. 
I was never prouder. But if I hadn't sat them down and talked to them, they never would have got to that. They never would have had the, the Friday, everybody help everybody out, move money around the table. It was just incredible. People, when given the choice, it's kind of what you said earlier, people will do the right thing. Most people out there are good, but it's harder to do the right thing if no one has really told them the facts that they're dealing with. That is such a beautiful story. Those are the kind of things that just get me emotional, and I think many people, many entrepreneurs crave to tell the story like that. What do you think? To what do you think? A created the, and you kind of alluded to this, but what what did you do, and what happened to allow that to blossom? And what do you think people do that prevent that from happening? Uh, I think that what. Uh, you know, luckily, they're the, 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 they're the two sides of the same coin, the question you just asked. Um, <clears throat> we have always focused – well, let me back up even a level bigger because it's, it's way bigger than business. Um, I was on this TV show, and this reporter said, so, Mr. Hoffman, she said, is life about the journey or the destination? And at the moment she said that, I had this epiphany moment. I said, neither. I said, it's just about the people you're traveling with. And she said, what? And I was like, oh, my God, I just came to a huge realization in my life. It doesn't matter where you're going, right? It's not really about the journey. It's not really about the destination. The quality of your life is 100% defined by the quality of the people in it. So if you're with the right people and life is going bad, you make the best of it, right? You can you still wind up laughing about the stories later. If you're in the wrong with the wrong people in your life, bad moments get really bad because it amplifies all those tensions and negativity. So I decided from that point on that the biggest decisions you'll make in your life are not what you're doing. Like I said, it's not the, it's not the, the company you're launching so much as the people that you're assembling around you. Your people decisions, the culture you build, will, di- will dictate your success way more than you think. So I started focusing on, as a leader on creating culture and finding people that are one of us. And I'll just explain that for your listeners real quick. That <clears throat> people come in for an interview, and they have eight interviews lined up a whole day. And my guys, my team would meet you for coffee in the lobby. And 10 minutes later, they're shaking their head. No. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's up? And they said, we don't need to interview that guy. He's not one of us. The flip side happened one time where this young woman came in. And before the first interview, everyone's like, just hire her. And I said, you haven't even interviewed her yet. And they said, Jeff, she's totally one of us. So my question to everybody is, what does one of us mean? What does one of you mean? What is the definition of the kind of person you want to be around and spend your life with? So it's it's an internal assessment of what are my values? What do I care about? What fulfills me? What makes me happy? What turns me off? And then using that as a map to create a culture for your life and your business. So since we were very values-oriented in our business, the kind of people we were around, I, I didn't ever start by looking at a resume. I, in fact, rarely ever looked at those. I can teach you skills, uh, but I can't change your DNA. So because we had a culture of matching values of the kind of people we wanted to be around, for example, the people that always made a human decision before they made a financial decision, it was more natural that our team would come to that conclusion. What prevents people, the other side of the coin that you asked, I find most of the time is pride, ego. People don't want to admit that they've screwed up their life. They don't want to admit that they're weak, that they're scared, that they don't understand, or maybe they didn't manage their savings and they have no savings. It's amazing. They carry that around like a monkey on their back. And what we discovered is when you check your pride and your ego and you just say, look, people, I'm hurting, all of a sudden everybody puts an arm around you and you have an entirely new world to deal with that your pride prevented you from ever being part of. You know, so much of what you just said, two things resonate big time. And I, I do think the, the people on the journey statement, that it's not about the journey and it's not about the destination. It's about the people with you on that journey is very powerful. That, that concept unifies a lot of things for me. Um, and, and especially as we translate this into the entrepreneurial world, I think a lot of entrepreneurs get the message of culture and I think they have, there's a decision to be made and it is what culture are we trying to create? And is it like you said, a human decision first culture 
Because if you want the benefits that come with that, you have to invest in that part where I think a lot of entrepreneurs keep it a little surface and it's like, you know, I want people who are expert, who are efficient and I, and cost effective and, you know, detail oriented and, uh, and, and, you know, will sacrifice themselves for someone else doesn't make the list very often. And if you don't make that, commitment and you you don't live that you are not going to get what you said as as a result of a human driven culture um which then blends the, well i guess one of the questions i had wanted to ask it sort of popped up which is what is your perspective on blending business and personal life and and i'm not a, i wouldn't consider myself a spiritual religious person at all but i love asking about spirituality and religion and how it flows into business because i think there's some really beautiful things that come from it so i heard a very transparent story from you like there, it's like it's humanity it's all one thing how do you think of it so I, I, I do think that's the way. And, you know, having been doing this for a long time, meaning being a CEO and building companies and stuff, I've made all the mistakes enough times uh, that I eventually got it right. And so I could see the difference. And uh, <clears throat> I, I, I'm just going to tell you, we always ran our business like a family. There is a level of professionalism that is absolutely required. And so on the other side of that line, as long as people are always respectful, like we have some some fundamental rules in our business. Here's one of them. One of, I wrote these on the wall, literally. One of them is humanity first. That, that we choose humans over profits because we are making a long-term investment in our business, our customers, our relationships, our employees, and our future. Um, another one that's written on the wall, though, is dignity. And what that means is all human beings deserve to be treated with the same level of dignity and respect regardless of their place in the hierarchy regardless of their role or anything. That was a huge rule for me. But when you start adding these rules like that, i got to tell you, what it turned out was we weren't just creating an office. We were creating a family, and we were setting the ground rules for how our family treated each other. And like I said, there was a floor and a ceiling of respectability and dignity and all those things that prevented people from the fear. I know when I would tell some people that we run our company like a family, they took that to mean, I don't know, some lack of professionalism which we never mm-hmm. had. But <clears throat> let me let me sort of tell you how that how that did work. Part of what families do. And of course you're right that in the end people that can't actually execute and deliver like you said on the work, you don't have a company. So that's a given, right? That I can spend my time teaching them the business part as long as they pass the the you know the family test, the cultural test, the values test first. Yeah. So, of course, people have to deliver, or you got to tell them. I've had plenty of times where I had tears crying on my shoulder. I was holding somebody and crying because I had to let them go. It's a family member that I love, you know, not a real family member, a company one, right. but they're not delivering. Uh, and that's the professionalism. And that's what I would ask them, guys. It's a business, and if you don't deliver, you can't work here. But if you do, we're all gonna we're all gonna take care of each other the best we can. So I think that does get to a little bit of a spiritual level that <clears throat> that. Um, is them understanding what you stand for. So I'll give you a quick example. Um, a CEO uh, that I'm thinking of doing a joint venture with, millions of dollars on the table, everybody's very excited, but we have this dignity clause that's part of our family, the way everybody will be treated. <clears throat> so he comes to our office, visits me, then I'm going to his office, and he doesn't want his employees to know about the merger, Mark, so he tells me to come after five. So I get there after working hours, and the office is closed, and I'm in the lobby, and the, the cleaning lady is there. And so he sends me a text. I'm running behind. I'll be out to get you in a few minutes. Cleaning lady is there. So by the time he comes out, uh, you know, I have established that, that Maria has two kids, one healthy, one's a special needs child. She's immigrated from Guatemala legally. Um, she has no family here. She sends money back to her family. Uh, she is not taking good care in her opinion of her special needs child because she doesn't know how to educate him and she's not really getting any help with that. So I take out a sheet of paper, get her contact info, and I happen to be the chairman at the time of an of a association for disabled children. So I have contacts and there is state paid for help for disabled children that she never knew about. She doesn't have to find, come up with money for it. She never knew about this. And so I'm going to connect her to people that are going to help her take care of her child and and actually help her with medical bills. So as we're leaving, 
I turn and I say, hey, Maria. And she said, what? And I give her a hug and say, I'll talk to you next week. And he looks at me like, I don't know, like I, I just threw up on his carpet or something. <laughs> this look of disgust. Oh, no. And I said, what? And he said, you know the cleaning lady? Like that. I said, whoa, whoa, time out. I said, turns out her name isn't cleaning lady. Her birth certificate <laughs> says Maria. And he said, whatever. And I said, what do you mean, whatever? And I said, did you know that she's a single mother? And he rolled his eyes. I said, do you know that she has a special needs kid that she can't take care of that needs medical attention? And he just shook his head and walked away. And he said, can we please start the meeting? I said, the meeting's done. And he said, what do you mean the meeting's done? And I said, not interested. And he said, you're going to walk away from millions of dollars on the table. I said, no, I'm going to find those millions somewhere else with somebody that matches our values. And I walked away. When I got back, my employees said, how did it go? How did it go? I said, oh, we're not doing that deal. And they're like, dude, that was a big money deal. And they said, why did you cancel it? And I only had to say one sentence. They said, what? And I said, I got in trouble for making friends with the cleaning lady. And they just smiled, nodded, and went back to work. So a couple of things happened there. They understand that our values matter. We'll find the money some other way. We're not stupid. Uh, but... This is how we run our family. These are the rules, and I have to follow them too. And it just, <coughs> excuse me, it made a change. I watched the way sort of people looked at me, and it just reinforced again that our values come first, and we'll figure everything else after that. And it turned out, hey, guess what? We wound up being successful even with, without that guy. You know, that I love that story, and it, gave, it gives me a crystal clear point I, I, I want to really punctuate. Because when somebody hears that story, and I have been in many inspirational conversations where there's something that is on that caliber of like, wow, I wish I could do that. The takeaway is this, that if you want, and this is, and this is my opinion, if you as a listener want a culture like Jeff's culture, like you just heard, you have to live and walk the walk that Jeff walks. And if you don't know how to do that, you have to learn and be your true self. And it's about raising the game as a leader. It starts and ends with you. If you're not getting the results you want from your team, you're not giving them what you think you are. You need to raise your game as a leader. And you really have to assess, can you do that? And are you up to the challenge? Because what you just described is not easy. It's, it is it is not just a beautiful fairy tale and story. You paid a price to get there. You you had to be authentic to get there. You had to make a decision and walk away from something that few people could do. How easy for that, easy for you was that? How, how did you get to be able to make those decisions? So you are absolutely right. It was painful and it hurt. And I sat my employees down. They said, wow, you know, we had that revenue in the pipeline. And I said, so you guys call. I said, do you want to violate everything we believe in? And you want to do pe- business? We had a sign in our office that literally said no assholes over the entrance. I said, do you, do you want do you want me to do that? Do you want to do business with assholes just because they have money? And they said, it's still going to hurt financially. I said, it's your call. If you guys want me to go back there and, and, and say, you know, and accept that, they said, you know what? We'd rather work twice as hard and find another deal. And here's where it came back to us. So I said, then you're going to have to help me out here because we're, we're missing some revenue from the forecast now. And they said, man, we'll figure it out. We'll, work, we'll, we'll just work harder. So I'm not pretending that that didn't hurt and that that didn't have a cost and it wasn't painful. But when I asked the team, this is a decision moment in life, which way do you want to go? They said, we want to go the way you chose. And here's an amazing thing that happened because of that culture. We made an error with our single largest customer uh, the very next year by shipping their sensitive data to a competitor. Oh, my God. Horrible violation, horrible (laughs) mistake. And their CFO called and said – we're probably one of your top 10 customers. And I'm like, no, you're our biggest customer. I didn't tell him that. And he said, you're in total violation of the contract, which is immediately terminated, and you've just lost one of your biggest clients. And I said, yes, sir, I understand. And, of course, my heart's thumping wildly. How am I going to recover from this? He said, except for one thing. I said, what? He said, we had a meeting with our, our executive team and our legal staff to review what happened. We know it was an honest mistake, but it was still a horrible mistake. And he said, according to the terms of the contract, we all agree legally that your contract's terminated, you know, with prejudice. And I said, I understand. And he said, but after the meeting, nobody got up 
And I said, why? And he said, somebody in our company said, do we really have to terminate them? And somebody else said, why wouldn't we? And they started telling stories, Mark, that I didn't know. One of my employees who was an account manager who was talking to one of their directors at their company, who was, who was she was the relationship in the account, the director, I'm just telling you this because it's real, the yeah. director got promoted to vice president. She came home from work in the middle of the day so excited to tell her husband she got a big promotion, which would have been great except she caught him in bed with her best friend. So the same day she got promoted, her world fell apart. So he left with the best friend and left her with two kids and at home. And the promotion, they said, to start your promotion, you need to hit the road and visit all our branch offices. And she said, I have no daycare. My kids have never been home alone. My husband, I was the breadwinner. He was at home. She was fell apart. And so what I discovered was through sort of the humanity first thing, my account manager had managed to find all this out. I don't know how, not my business. But on weekends and certain days, certain nights, she was house-sitting and babysitting for the client so that this woman could get her life back together and she could travel when she needed. And when the company told me that, I ran down the hall to my employee. His name was Natalie. And I said, Natalie, she said, am I fired? I said, why do you think you're fired? And she said, because I didn't tell you. And she said, you found out that I've been helping out the client by house-sitting and babysitting. I said, you think I came down here to fire you? I said, what does it say on the wall? It says humanity first. And so you just saved our biggest contract. Because the customer said, Jeff, the way you run the business, the way you guys treat people is exactly why not only are we going to keep you, but we like to re-up the contract. And we like to add more services. So the flip side, the payback, the karma of the deal I walked away from in the janitor situation came back to me because our employees said, no, let's leave the money on the table. We'll take the hit. We'll do things the way we do things here, and we'll hope for the best. We'll just work harder. It, I 100% think that was the energy that the universe gave us back because that's the energy we put into it. I, I, those stories after the fact sound so – I mean, they're amazing. And they sound – well, they, they, I, they don't tell the story of – the paying it forward. I mean, you pay that forward in silence. Like you have to do great things when nobody's watching and nobody thanks you. You have to do that over and over and over again for years before the story is, oh yeah. And, and they said we saved our largest client because we had a track record for, for saving humanity. That's, well, that's not smart. Correct, but you are correct, by the way, that you know what we didn't cover, and, and by the way, just to give you an idea, I have about 10 minutes left. Um, okay. Uh, the, what we didn't cover, uh, we did a little bit, was all the hard times getting there. There was a price to pay to do things your way, and we paid it. I was just telling you about a time where we had no money, and the employees had to help each other pay their phone bills. Um, there, there was an easier out, not in that particular situation, but there were a lot of times where we could have taken the easy path um, and taken the money, uh, but we, you know, I didn't want to live that way, and because I hire those kind of people, they said, "You know what, Jeff? We don't want that either. Let's just let's just tough it out." So you are correct. There is a price to pay. Those are the stories, the good stories that came at the end. But there were a lot of rough moments along the way, and if you're not tough enough to take it, or you're not willing to actually stick to your values, then you never get to that story I just told you at the end. You'd never survive long enough to get there. We earned that story by stumbling through a lot of tough times along the way. So when was the, the last time, or what comes to mind, when you think of the last time you were really scared? Uh, wow, I don't, for me, I don't get that very much. And I don't know why, uh, you know, you talked about the spiritual side of things. Okay. You know, all of us were endowed with a certain set of skills and a certain set of laws. And we're all different, thank God, we're like snowflakes. Everybody's yeah. different. I absolutely am painfully aware of my long list of flaws. But for some reason, you know, a few of the, the good things that I was given, that's one of them. I, I, I don't panic. Uh, even in bad situations, I tend to keep my calm and I don't really get scared. So business-wise, you know, one time I wrote on the wall, 
I, I wrote, my employees were all upset about something, and I walked into the conference room where everyone was all astir, and I wrote on the wall, there's no such thing as a business emergency. And they all started laughing. I said, emergency is you just got a call that your significant other was in a car accident. That's an emergency. We lost a client. It's not an emergency. It's just a problem to solve. Um, hmm. So uh, so you compartmentalize the, well. And your priorities and your – I, I mean, your, yeah. your culture is not accidental, right? So I, I get the sense. And, I, and this it's is what learned. I teach in, 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 in culture and core values. It, you – you can't manufacture your core values. You can't manufacture uh, artificially your culture. You must get in touch with who you are and turn your best parts up to max and turn down <laughs> your worst parts or or make your worst parts into strengths and, and just be aware of that. But it's about authenticity. And I hear this from you that you know th- all these stories are great, but you kind of didn't have a choice about – uh, who, how this is going to manifest? You definitely had a choice about what you, how you reacted to the obstacles, but uh, your your unique character and DNA is clearly evident, and uh, you just a, a masterful job of making it visible and channeling it into just the the best of of what a business well, people well, should be doing. I, I really appreciate you saying that, but you know, all that's learned, right? I, I pay attention. One thing I did learn along the way uh, was that uh, you know listening was so much more it was such a, so much more of a valuable tool than talking was. And the reason I say that is because a lot of time leaders think they have to talk a lot more than they actually do because everybody's staring at you. The truth is, when you're a leader, everyone's staring at you. Hey, boss, make a decision. They're waiting for guidance. But when I little by little started discovering. When I started saying to people, all right, before I make a decision, what do you guys think? And they're like, uh, we don't know. And I said, well, take a minute. Take a minute and think this through and tell me what you guys think. And when I started listening, I was like, wow, that was six perspectives I didn't even have. Thank God I didn't make a decision because I didn't come from their perspective. And so instead of assuming that leadership is about always knowing what to do and telling people what to do, leadership is about listening so well that you get a much more holistic and comprehensive decision because you brought in all these other perspectives. So by the time I made a decision, not only was it a more sound decision, but um, it was a decision that my employees were much more, even if I didn't pick their choice, they were much more likely to rally behind me because they were heard. Human beings fundamentally want to be heard. Even if you say, thank you, Mark, I appreciate your input, I'll still have to make a decision, and I'd appreciate if you still are a team player. But the difference between saying to myself, I already know what Mark's going to say, I'm not going to do that, so I'm not even going to ask him. Right. That is completely different than, than allowing you to feel heard in the world. That's what people want. Well, and I, I add to the, emphasize, rather, that that is not a an activity, it is a dimension of a behavior over time. Like you cannot just occasionally remember to ask for people's opinion. It has to, to be a habit that people uh, begin to trust to get that effect. Uh, it ha- can't be surface. If, you, if you're doing what you're saying, you're doing it all the time and building the habit. When you say what, your opinion, what is your opinion, people know that you're listening because you've asked before and they give you some really seriously well thought out things as opposed to like, well, sounds fine to me. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And especially if they think that you ask, but you're not really listening anyway, Mm -hmm. then they don't waste their time. When they discover you actually are listening, they put a lot more thought into their answer and everybody wins. Yeah, absolutely. So I I know you got to get going and and we've been going a while. I want to, what is your most, to to wrap this up, not to put too much pressure on you, (laughs) what is your most passionate plea to entrepreneurs at this time? I think it's to band together and reprioritize. So I'm, I'm focusing on at this time. Uh, yeah. So at this time, you need to band together. You need to drop competitive walls. You need to drop egos. You need to say, for this moment, we're not competitors. We're human beings. We're all in this together. And by the way, if you do all band together, you probably will come up with a business idea that's more powerful. One plus one equals five. And you will wind up making money out of it anyway. But people got to drop their egos they got to gather together, and, and they, they've got to reprioritize. Some of the things that we know you're really excited about before coronavirus 
and it's something you really wanted to do, you need to get over it. You need to set it down. Maybe you can come back to it later. Maybe you won't. But it's time to reprioritize, refocus, and and do so as a community, an army of entrepreneurs. That's one of the things that, you know, is is written on my sort of vision board thing. It's not a vision board. It's just my sayings that I believe yeah. in. One of them I wrote was, if you want to make the world a better place, unleash an army of entrepreneurs. It's time for that army uh, to get together and to fight together. God, so awesome. I, I, I love that. So, so perfect. This has been a, a tremendous conversation. I am so excited, so pumped up. I'm so excited to, to, to go back and listen to this and, and pull even more nuggets out of this. You've been just wonderful, and, and I'm so excited about being able to share this and, and get this out there. Jeff, how do people find you if they want to know more about what you're up to? Uh, LinkedIn is the best um, for me. That's where I am the most. But I have a website, uh, jeffhoffman.com, or they can just email me, jeff at jeffhoffman.com. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. That's it for today. Thanks so much. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc. 